You're listening to Just Asking, where we discuss the subject that everyone wants to talk about without really knowing how to talk about it. Why do we human beings, who are obviously so sexual, have such a difficult time talking about managing this intimate part of our lives? We talk about managing our money, we manage our careers, our diets, and even our stock portfolios. Yet when it comes right down to it, we really don't know how to talk about managing our sexuality. And certainly, we don't know how to talk about doing it intelligently. So that's exactly what we talk about on this show. Welcome to Just Asking, a safe place where we talk about human sexuality. I'm Stephen Ng, and in my decades of working with people who have sexual problems, I've learned that we can all manage our sexuality better, more intelligently. Today I'm talking with my friend Jackie about sexual concerns of single parents and uh, even married parents and how to deal with uh, our sexuality when it concerns our children who might be living under the very same roof and how are they going to handle all this. Hi, Jackie. Hi, Stephen. So there's this idea, and, and it's, a, it's an interesting idea, how once you become a parent, you're no longer a sexual being. Like once that child has been born, now you're the <laughs> virgin Madonna or something where you're not supposed to be sexual anymore, even with your partner, the father of your, of your child. Well, why would you be sexual? You've already reproduced. Right. You've done your job. <laughs> now everything is shut down. The next generation is, is ready to go. And uh, according to some, the body has a way of shutting those things down. <laughs> so That's what I understand. Yeah. So I, th- I think that started with St. Augustine. And his idea would, was that sex, uh, since the fall in the garden, was always a sin. And that there was no way to have sex without lust. And therefore, it was always morally compromised. And it's something that two people do to have sex. But without the the goal of procreating, uh, there's really no justification for that sort of naughty behavior. And, and we still have a lot of that thinking permeating our, our consciousness now. So it makes it really difficult for some parents, at least, to go ahead and maintain what was bef- a normal sexual life for them before they ever had kids. And that doesn't even count the people who end up sadly getting divorced and they're single and have custody of their children. And then what are they supposed to do? Right. So let's just talk about the the married people for a while, because I think these are are huge issues, both of them. But um, so you've, you've had your child there, you know, a couple of months old now and still no sex. Right. And I've talked to people from different religious backgrounds and from no religious background. And it's sort of funny how these beliefs are sort of in the air floating around us, because no matter whether people have a religion or they don't, we don't get to blame religion. It's about us and the choices that we make. And for some men in particular, it's not always women, by the way. I mean, it's it's just as often, I think, the man who thinks, well, that was okay for us to do that wild stuff back in the day, but now she's the mother of my children. I can't do that act uh, with her, on her, around her, or um, doing any of the other stuff we used to do because she kisses my children with that mouth. And <laughs> that's just not okay. So we we have to knock that off. And and then, you know, because of the Madonna whore paradigm and, and, and that 
I think I should maybe explain what I mean by that. The, in the Madonna whore paradigm, once you're a mother, you become sacred. And, and again, whether we're religious or not, uh, we, you become a sacred person as a woman in, in the eyes of some, and perhaps in, in women's own eyes occasionally. And then the wild, crazy stuff you used to do in order to have a, a fun and intimate relationship and, and to get pregnant in the first place, all that stuff goes out the window because now you are in this Madonna position. And so um, then for the man, that means that really all that really crazy, naughty sexual behavior that he was engaging in before, he has to find another woman uh, with whom he can have that sort of, what would you call it, you know, truly relaxed intimacy <laughs> where he can simply be who he is, talk about what he's thinking about, uh, share his feelings, uh, talk about his sexual fantasies, and all without the pressure of um, being shamed or scorned or I can't believe you're so sexually fixated or is that all you ever thinking about? And and I think for women, they get the reverse of that. If they want to have an enjoyable sexual experience, uh, they, they often find the man in their life is sheepish about going forward with what was before a perfectly acceptable behavior. In fact, that may be one of their go-to moves in the bedroom. So it's a real problem and uh, it sets people up for divorce if they don't solve this riddle of how do we successfully and intelligently manage our sexuality after having children. But uh, it does, it's a real problem and it's a pervasive problem around the world, not just in the United States. We don't get to blame the Puritans for that. It's not religion, it's us. So, so Stephen, you, I mean, you, you talked about you know, divorce, adultery. You went to the way scary places about <laughs> this, about not having intimacy in a relationship. But maybe you can talk about why it's important for two married people to have an intimate sexual relationship in the first place. Because of adultery and divorce. Well, and these... <laughs> not everybody's going to cheat. Not everybody's going to get divorced. But no, obviously... that's really true. And a lot of people don't do anything like that. They just stayed miserable and together for years and years and years, which is somewhat more frightening in a way because there's no crisis that kind of brings things to a head and forces a resolution. But, you know, it's not as though there aren't ready and available fixes for this. We can have a conversation. We can talk to one another about what's going on. And if, if for some reason that breaks down, we can access professional help to facilitate the conversation, not that the therapist is going to be able to preach at us or, or make us change, but maybe to help facilitate finding a solution that works for the both of us. And at the end of the day, what it really comes down to is, can we get busy when there are children under our roof? Well, let's, let's hold off on that for a second, because that is a really important issue. But I think that um, just the physical act of sex with someone you love creates I mean it creates the bond between you right I mean if you if you take away isn't that what sex is for well if you know if we don't know the science on that by now we we've been living under a rock for a long time we know that physical touching between two loving people creates an increase in oxytocin and that uh, is commonly referred to as the bonding hormone and those of us who like uh, dogs seem to get more of it than people who <laughs> like cats. But we get even more of it from touching our own children. We get it from uh, squeezing a newborn baby. We get it from touching one another as, as uh, couples. 
in a relationship. So it's extremely important because, again, biology is destiny. We, we are in these bodies and our bodies are giving us messages all the time. And if I don't feel safe, if I don't feel desired, if I don't feel desire directed toward my partner, uh, the whole thing is not going to happen. So there's more reasons to have sex for sure than just having a great orgasm, right? Or even a, a mediocre orgasm. I mean, there are, there are great reasons to have sex because for a lot of us, it is the most primal way we have of, sh of sharing with someone, I like you and I so want to be with you. And I am open to everything you have to give. And I, I open my body up to you in this way because you're special to me. And if we don't have those messages going out, we're all missing something very vital in our relationships. And even to the point where you talked about how men may have, they view their, their wife as a mother now and not accessible sexual, sexually. But maybe what she's feeling is that she's no longer sexually desirable. You know, she's put on the weight with a baby and maybe she, it hasn't gone off and now her husband doesn't want to have sex with her anymore. And so her own self-esteem is going to get, um, might get affected. And obviously that might affect her, her willingness to, to initiate sex. Or to participate in any kind of really carefree manner because she has some new inhibitions. Maybe uh, her breasts have changed, her, uh, her skin has changed, it's no longer as elastic as it was. And uh, let's face it, she isn't uh, exactly the same physically as after as before she ever got pregnant. But in the over 20 years of counseling with thousands of men, I want to tell the women of the world, I have never met one husband who didn't desire his wife after she had a baby. That That the physical changes were utterly irrelevant to him. So maybe they need to tell them. Well, maybe, or maybe <laughs> women could say, this is really my problem. I really need to get over this. Well, it's funny. On the way over here, I was listening to um, a Billy Joel song, um, Tell Her About It. Mm -hmm. And I was singing along with it. And, and the words just struck me because it was, yes, you love her. Yes, you want her. Yes, you want to be with her. But if you don't tell her that, if you don't show her that, she doesn't know. And then she has to wonder. And then she might go find it someplace else. Well, you know, it's so intriguing to me as a man listening to you say that because in my couples work and working individually with men and in groups, I have met a lot of guys whose opinion on these matters are is utterly discounted. Oh, because you're just saying that to be nice. <laughs> or um, he's trying to fill what is for her an empty, bottomless pit of self-esteem because she looks in the mirror and all she registers are her faults. And how sexy is that when the woman you love keeps pointing out all of her physical defects? Right. Every one of us has physical defects and none of us are wired to be focused on the physical defects of the person we love and adore. So uh, just the fact that he is physically aroused is saying he's kind of digging your scene. Right. He's into you. He wants you. And the inhibitions, you know, I think it's really for men and women alike. It is so tempting to want to blame something or someone else for not doing enough, for doing too much of something for what is essentially my own personal problem. And it's it's men with their issues. It's women with their issues. 
And in, and in this regard, um, I, I've met countless numbers. I can't tell you how many thousands of men I've met who've been reassuring, kind, loving, and, and affirming. And she can't believe him because, well, you're just saying that because you want to get laid. So women need to... <laughs> We need to back off too. Yeah, well, and to and to be able to understand that as we age, I mean, pregnancy is just the tip of the iceberg. Um, there are decades ahead of us, hopefully, where uh, no matter how well we take care of ourselves, no matter how what uh, the local plastic surgeon does for <laughs> us, we are going to show the effects of aging. Right. And there's a very powerful force going on with. The most powerful reinforcer we have, which is orgasm, and the principle of systematic desensitization, wherein every time I'm looking in her eyes, uh, she's touching my shoulder, uh, we're having sex or an orgasm, we are each imperceptibly aging day by day by day. But I am being rewarded uh, with that most powerful reward we have by by my interest in her and I've talked to so I've talked to men in their 80s who are excited to touch their wives who are also in their 80s and in wheelchairs and he's on crutches and they can barely move but they can't wait to get into each other's arms now sometimes they have a little help with you know some modern medicines to uh, for him to get an erection or they use uh, lube in a can to, to make it all work. But the point is, they're still, no matter how old I get, no matter what my physicality, I'm still a sexual being. And if we've been together 20, 30, 40 years, obviously we've aged, but we still find each other very attractive, or at least we have the capacity to. Now, if I'm a woman who is preoccupied with every wrinkle and every little bit of sagging fat, which I think of more as sexy fat, <laughs> if that's going to really inhibit me and make it really difficult for me to, to relax and enjoy sex and sexual intimacy of any kind. So I, you know, rather, I think guys have a responsibility for being loving and affirming and, and, and telling the woman they're, they're in love with how beautiful she is. But if she can't believe him, if she right. thinks he's just trying to be nice, that's like taking a bouquet of flowers that have been offered as a gift and then throwing the flowers on the floor. No, you're just saying that. No, you don't mean it. I know it's not true. Well, to just take a deep breath and say thanks, honey. Right. So we've talked about why it's important for the marriage, um, which is obviously a strong marriage is important for the children. Um, but why is it important for children to understand that their parents are in love with each other, that they're, you know, they haven't just become these one issue people now who are only parents? Like, why is it important for kids to understand that their parents love each other and have a physical relationship? You know, this could be uh, a conversation all on its own because it's so multifaceted. You know, one of the biggest, most important things for children to be disabused, disabused of. One of the ideas that children need the most help getting over is that they are the center of the <laughs> universe. And that goes for our very young children and it goes all the way through the teens and into the 20s 
to, to realize that mommy and daddy had a life before I ever came along and that they have a dimension to their intimacy that I have no part in whatsoever. And that even if uh, I had not been conceived on that one day after Woodstock, <laughs> <laughs> because that's where they met, if I, if I had never been conceived, they would still be a couple in love, wanting to kiss and hug and be together. And, and that's strangely upsetting while at the same time being strangely comforting because it means I'm not responsible for how they feel or what they think. I'm just sort of responsible for growing up as a kid and for learning all of those important skills kids are supposed to learn, like how to play, how to, how to pick friends, uh, how to take care of my own life and how to learn how to talk and share and have conversations and set boundaries and defend my boundaries. All of those things that will help us eventually become great partners as adults in our own right. That brings us to the second major uh, gift that parents give by being so in love and by having such an intimate relationship, such a passionate and intimate relationship. They're still going to argue. They're still going to have their fights. And children get to learn that, oh, even when people are really in love, even when mom and dad can't stop from hugging each other and holding each other, or they always seem to get back to that no matter what the issue is, that arguments are there for a couple to figure things out, to resolve so that they can get back on track with the good stuff. An argument is not a crisis. I mean, it can turn into one, sure, with domestic violence and abuse sure. and all of that. But an argument by itself doesn't need to result in a child having a meltdown and saying, stop it, stop it, mommy and daddy are fighting, I hate that. Because it can actually, one of the, one of the things that therapists often note about us, uh, about therapists themselves for that matter, is that we're too often in our heads. And when you have a passionate relationship, it is a way of leapfrogging some of the intellectual arguments and affirming to the other person, I really love you. I mean, we may disagree about uh, the last election. We may disagree about where we're going to invest our money or what's the right way to raise our children. But I'm still really hot for you. I'm still crazy about you. I still want you to sleep with me tonight. And I think kids pick up on all that. Uh, you don't have to put it in their face. You, they, they just, they get that. And for those kids who have a hard time with that idea that mommy and daddy have an intimacy and a special quality to their relationship that has nothing to do with children, uh, the fact that mom and dad are having regular intimate time alone with each other in the house under the same roof and that they've made a point of telling Johnny or Susie or whoever else uh, they have as a child, parents have a responsibility to enjoy sexual intimacy with each other and, by, and to establish proper boundaries so that they can comfortably do so without the kids banging on the bedroom door while they're trying to express their love for one another. Uh, and they have that responsibility as a first step in teaching children about privacy and about boundaries. It's, it's also, of course, part of teaching children that you're not the center of the universe, but that mom and dad have a different kind of a relationship. They have an adult relationship. They have the sort of relationship that you as a child are 
not a part of, but you're also not interested in. It's, it's not something for you. It's something for us. And to be taught through appropriate consequences, like could be something as simple as a timeout. No, when mom and dad go into the bedroom and lock the door, that means they don't want to be disturbed. They've already taken care of us. We're going to be okay whether it's three minutes or 30 minutes or 60 minutes. We're going to be just fine. There's not an emergency here. There's nothing we need to do about this except just leave them alone. So what do you do if you um, are getting this advice maybe a little late? (laughs) (laughs) And you've already established that your children are the center of the universe and you haven't had sex with your partner for a year, you know, what do you do then? That's a really great question because that is the reality for millions of people. And I think uh, the first thing I like to do in a situation like that, whether it's this issue with children or it's a similar issue with adults, is once I've realized the big mistake is to go to the offended party uh, and apologize. And in this case, it'd be apologizing to my children and saying, kids, I want to say, tell you I'm really sorry about something. And then to explain exactly what you just said in exactly those words and say, I'm committed to not letting that happen again. And I'm committed to letting you know when your father and I need some time apart. And when your father and I shut the bedroom door after taking care of you and making sure you're fed and you've got uh, a safe place to be, we need you to not knock on our door and to leave us alone while we have our special alone time. And obviously this would go to not just sex, but I mean dating couple time. Without the kids. Absolutely. And including uh, just conversations. You know, it doesn't even have to be a sexual issue. It might be that mom and dad need to uh, actually have a, a conversation about the kids or, or about money. And it's, it's something maybe that involves uh, concerns and worries that are not appropriate for young years. And, and I think that that's okay. But in general, I think we err on the other side, to be honest with you. I think then this is another whole topic of, you know, should we argue in front of the children? Because I think, again, it goes back to the issue of modeling. I have had so many unhappy couples who come to me and say, well, our, our parents, we, we grew up in a perfect home and they never argued. Well, more's the pity because you never learned uh, how arguing was supposed to look like between two loving people who really knew how to resolve problems, real difficulties, real conflicts between them. And because of that, you're not needing to reinvent the wheel from the very beginning all over again. So that's, you know, that's unfortunate for those couples because they end up going, having to go really to a lot of counseling, read a lot of books, do a lot of trial and error before they're actually able to engage in that behavior. Whereas children who are raised in the kind of environment we're talking about, they already understand about privacy. They already understand about the fact that adults have a reasonable need to have some alone time. Thank you, Jackie, for this conversation. Thank you very much. It's been very uh, enlightening. And thanks uh, to everyone out there listening to us. My name is Stephen Ng, and we're going to continue these conversations. Please join us again as we talk about sex, sexuality, and the intelligent management thereof. This has been a production by Ng Intellectual in cooperation with Estepona Group. Interview by Jackie Shelton. Music produced by Octophonics. Editing by Lucas Pichelli. To listen to more episodes, visit stephening.com.